following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good evening, good evening, good evening, good evening, good evening, good evening, good evening. Earl brought my mic, my, my lectern out here, and he must have touched this about six times. I was on page six. Maybe the Lord wants me to start on page six. Everybody doing good? Hey, I was over here while the music was just doing phenomenal uh, tonight, and I, I tell people that have never come to Christian life, you, you'll love our music. You had to put up with me or Pastor Brad for about 25 minutes, but uh, I think you can do that after hearing that kind of music. And if I see you walking out, then I will shorten it to 15 minutes, okay? <laughs> hey, what a joy to see you. I, I, I was over here having my own soliloquy in time of worship with the Lord, and I made this statement. I said, Lord, fill this house with your presence. The first Sunday we were in here, I asked God to fill this house with his presence. And God spoke back to me tonight and said, when I fill it with my presence, I will send people from all over Austin to feel my presence in this house. <laughs> hear me, hear me. We can't just show up and go home. We've got to show up and we've got to worship him with all that's in us. It's an hour of our time, it's an hour of our day, but what a joyous hour that we serve the Lord on a Wednesday night or Sunday morning from 9 to 10 and 11 to 12. What a joy to be in his house. And when you come, might as well just go ahead and get pumped up and praise him. Might as well. Now, you see this section right over here, folks? See this section right over here? It does not replicate this section over here or duplicate it, not at all. This section's got 18 people in it and this section has zero. So Sunday morning, Sunday morning, I'm going to be standing over here with about 15 summer moon cards. I want somebody on the right hand of the Father. I want somebody over here in this section. <laughs> and so I'm going to be over there and I'm going to pass out gift cards until they're all gone. And then you can sit up there and act like you're sitting there. Then you'll probably move because you think you can't see behind that jib camera, but you can see behind that camera. You have to do this every now and then, but you can see. And uh, we've done that a lot of times at ball games and at theaters because we understand that we want to see more than we want to be hid. So that's Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, pastor's going to be here with some Summer Moon gift cards. All right, stand to your feet. You're awesome people. I love you. We're doing a series called The Life God Blesses. And we started it on February the 3rd on a Wednesday night. Had a wonderful time that night. We, uh, the second Wednesday night was the 10th. And then last Wednesday night, we had no electricity. We had no water. We couldn't even get something out online to you because of that. Because it's all in here. And so we couldn't get anything out. So we, the first time since pandemic hit, we could not go online and send anything to you. So... Last week on Wednesday, it was eight degrees and snow and blizzard and ice. Today, it was 84. Now, hear me. You got to get this. You got to get this. You got to get this. That's how life is. Sometimes you think, oh, God, I'm going under. And the next week, you're going over. You got to hang on when you're going under so you can ski good when you're going over. Come on now. That's right. That's right. So the life God blesses, we're doing tonight, convictions grow 
in special soil. Special soil. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor. And I don't think he's going to be lengthy. And if he is, we're going to stay two more minutes with him. You may be seated. You're the finest people on the planet, and I love you from the bottom of my heart. I want to show a picture of Michael Plant again. This is how we started the series three weeks ago, even though we've just talked two weeks. You get it. This is Michael in his boat, the Coyote. He was a tremendous sailboat racer in the California coast and beat everybody that he raced against. And so one day he got a real big idea that he wanted to go around the world in that sailboat. And he wanted to stop in France and he wanted to race against the French who claimed to be the greatest sailboat racers in the world. And Michael Plant wanted to kick their somebody. He really did. He wanted to beat them and he wanted to show that America could beat the French. And if you're French here tonight, forgive us. <laughs> but he went out. He had the greatest boat. He had all the finest radios. He had all the stuff that was necessary to sail around. Had enough food. Of course, he was going to stop in places and, and get more food. But 11 days into the journey, he disappeared, and he was never found, never seen again. And they found the boat, and it was floating upside down because something had happened. The ballast, the four-ton steel girt underneath that boat that attached itself to the keel had come undone and slipped off, and the boat capsized, and Michael Plant's life was lost because of the ballast that went off the boat. See, the strength of life is not what is seen but what is not seen. And the balancer of life is what is below the waterline, not what is above the waterline. Some people can dress good, look good, act good, but down deep they're struggling. Down deep they're having soul talks all the time because they can't get it together. And that's the first lesson. Then last, the second lesson, we talked about the disruptive moments in life. And how we can grow through those disruptive moments. We talked about crises that we can't control. We talked about wonderment that we can't explain. We talked about aging. <laughs> I'm 17. That we can't avoid. And we talked about spiritual discipline that we'd rather not do. But it's all a part of the process of spiritual growth. And tonight we're going to talk about convictions grow in a special soil. A few years ago back in the last of the 20th century, back in the end of Reagan's administration, the federal government decided to sponsor the building of an atomic particle accelerator right here in Texas, in Waxahachie, Texas. It was enormous and astronomically expensive. It would dwarf any other in the whole world. It was the greatest that was ever going to be built. Its purpose was to take us closer to discovering the secrets of the universe. And the cost was in the B billions, billions. The particle accelerator was to be built underground right out of Waxahachie. So with the blessing of government money, construction began on a circular tunnel. It went through Bush's presidency and then on into Bill Clinton's presidency, which if it had been completed, it would have been several miles in circumference. In fact, it would have been 52 miles underneath the ground of a tunnel. But Congress had second thoughts about it. And uh, so because of low funding, construction came to a halt. And what was left was a five-mile slightly curved tunnel large enough to accommodate a big old truck. The problem, the tunnel goes nowhere. An expensive nowhere tunnel that cost a whole bunch of money. The question, does this tunnel that goes nowhere have any use? The answer, 
Someone thinks so. The tunnel contains an ideal growing condition for mushrooms. Mushrooms. <laughs> wow. Maybe that's where we get them when we go to a restaurant and order mushrooms. They're out of the tunnel and walks a hatchet. A multi, multi, multi-million dollar tunnel that ended up being a mushroom farm. We know mushrooms have to grow in a special ambience, cool temperature, darkened place, carefully controlled humidity. So caves are a great place to grow mushrooms and apparently tunnels that are paid for by your tax dollar. That's what it became. The point, if a tunnel is ideal for growing mushrooms, then the soul is the ideal place for growing convictions. David said, you will not leave my soul in hell. God wants our soul to make choices. When we look like we will lean to the flesh and the, the part of us that says lean to the Lord, that soul has to make that complex decision of where you're going to lean and what you're going to walk in in your life. Ideas and thoughts emerge from the mind. Feelings come from emotions, but convictions or values come from the soul. It's that underwater balancer. It's that stabilizer. It's the ballast of your life. It's the thing that you, you, you cry out to God in the middle of the night and say, God, I need direction. It's that the mind is a product of rational process. Our feelings are simply that, that a response to a particular situation. But we should defend our thoughts, not our feelings. We build thoughts, but experience feelings. However, convictions are different. Convictions are principles that grow out of the soul of our belief system. When I was just a young man, I, I was 23 years old, and I decided I needed to write me some convictions down. I needed to write some that I would, I would let tag my life for the rest of my life. And I was 23, and it's almost 50 years ago. And they still are in my Bible, the Bible that I used back then that I don't use anymore. I wore it out. But I wrote this in my Bible, God is my passion. That's a principle. I wrote families, what matters in my life. That's a principle. I wrote people are my purpose. That's a principle. I wrote money will never be the reason I preach the gospel. That's a principle. And I wrote friends will always be my friend. That's a principle. There's five that I wrote and I said, God, that's five. Can you give me a little grace on all that? He said, I'll give you a lot of grace on that because you put me first and you put people in the middle of it and you put your family there and you put the fact that you're not going to be preaching for money and monetary gain and you're going to always love people. I'll be there for you. I'm here to tell you, I made that decision at 23 years old and I cried for a week after I wrote it down. People must adopt principles for living. They have to. Boundaries and frontiers and green lights and red lights and yes, and knows and actionable principles. See, some people want a Savior, but they don't want a Lord. But if He's going to be your Savior, we must trust Him to be our Lord. He has to handle all my stuff. Here's my stuff, Lord, handle it. Just take care of it. Be my manager, be my accountant. Be everything that I want you to be. Be everything that you want to be in my life. I surrender my life to you because I want to live in convictions in your house and in my life. I want to live that kind of life. Would you clap your hands and rejoice in that right now? 
Peter. Peter in the book of Acts had gone down to Cornelius' house and the Holy Spirit fell on the whole household of Cornelius and they were Gentiles and the Jews kind of had this corner on the market. They thought that the Holy Spirit was just for them. And he came back to a council and they started calling him into, into question about what really happened at Cornelius' house. And in Acts 11, Peter said, who was I to withstand God? Who was I? You can fuss at me all you want to, but he is the Lord, not this body of men. You're not the Lord. I serve the Lord and I follow the Lord and I preach what God asked me to preach and the Holy Spirit fell on those people. In Acts chapter four, Peter and John were told to stop preaching the gospel of Jesus. And in Acts chapter four, verse 19 and 20, Peter again said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge that. For we cannot speak the things but which we have seen and what we have heard. Hey, isn't it good every now and then just to hear a clear clarion call from the Lord and say, I still love you and I'm your God and I want to walk with you and I want to be your Savior. Come on now, clap your hands of that. That's a good thing to feel. See, the disciples had a conviction formed in the soil of their soul, not hindered by popular opinion or religious law or politics of the Jews and the Romans. Conviction and character are interactful. They really, really are. Here's what, I, here's what I wrote down, what I think character is. I'm going to put it on the screen. You can take a picture of it and put it in the refrigerator and read it for about a week. It might help you a little. Character is the demeanor of a person. It provides pictures of how we see this individual living day in and day out. It creates our anticipation of how this person would act in a difficult situation if all the rules were suspended and one had only the law of the soul to act on. I take you to the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. He's put in a pit by his brethren and sold to some Midianites headed down to Egypt. When they get to Egypt, they put him on an auction block and Potiphar in Egypt bids for him because he's a handsome and strong and stoutly young man. And Potiphar takes him to his house and Joseph is a man that follows after God. And Potiphar's gone one day and Potiphar's wife tries to get Joseph to lay with her and have relationships with her. And Joseph runs out of the house and she grabs his coat and she said, here, I've, I've got this to prove that he was in this house. And Joseph was arrested and put in prison for 17 years for something that he ran from. But here's what he said. Here's what he said. There was no Ten Commandments then, folks. They hadn't been written yet. There was no law that he had to follow. It hadn't been written yet. But he had convictions in his soul. And he said, I can't do this because God has forbidden me to do this. There's sometimes you've got to reach deep. Come on, somebody, help me preach right now. You've got to reach deep. And you said, you know, I can't find the scripture and verse on this, but it just doesn't feel right now, right now. So if you don't mind, I think I'll run on. The Bible said that's the only way to get out of fornication is to flee it. Just get out of the house. Run, baby, run. Run, forest, run as fast as you can because God wants you to make the right decision in your soul. Say amen to that. So you sow a thought, you reap an act. You sow an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. It all starts with just sowing a thought. Your ideal is what you wished you were. Your reputation is what others say you are. But your character is what you are. What you are.
You know, I tell young pastors that come and join us on our staff here, and I tell them all the same thing, and I tell them in this order. I tell them in this order. I said, there's three things you got to do to build a church. Number one, you got to keep yourself clean. Number two, you got to love people. And oh, by the way, you need to preach every now and then. It's not in any other order. You got to stay clean. You got to love people. And you got to preach the gospel. I want to declare to you that God has given us a church that loves the word of God around here. And you understand what it is to be loved by people of God in this house. Come on, let's stay clean in the house of God. I read about a young man who would reach the front entrance of a building the same time as a young feminist. And he held the door open for her to pass through. And she said, oh, don't do that for me because I'm a lady. He said, I didn't, ma'am. I'm holding it open because I'm a gentleman. (laughs) I could preach a little on that. You know, Christians act because of Christ, not others. We are Christ-like people. No one here is perfect. We all have flaws in our character. You dig deep enough and all of us are guilty. All of us have besetting things, what I call bugs and ticks and goats. Things that bug me. Things that tick me off. And things that get my goat. We all, we all have those. And we all have a cuss word just almost ready to come out. I'm not trying to be funny. I just am tonight for some reason. I don't know. We deal with those things daily. Many women and many men and women ask God, how often should I forgive my wife and my husband? Seven times a day. And the Lord said in Matthew 18, no, 70 times seven in one day. You know how many times that is? That's 20 times an hour. Every three minutes, clock it, baby. Every three minutes. I forgive you. Every three minutes. I forgive you. You know, this Jesus thing is a constant thing. It ain't just Sunday and Wednesday. Come on. It's Monday morning. It's Monday afternoon. It's Monday night. Come on. It's Tuesday. It's Wednesday. It's Thursday. It's Friday. Why don't you just clap your hands real big and say thank you for the word tonight, Pastor. I'm going to show you how much little things could just absolutely tick you off, just drive you nuts. Several years ago, I preached at a, at a, at a conference up in Dover, Delaware, to a, a bunch of ministers, and, and it was a five-knot conference. And so I found out that the man that was running the conference had two properties in Jamaica. And I, I, really, I really always wanted to go to Jamaica and take my family. And, and uh, you know, we had heard how beautiful my, um, um, uh, Jamaica was. I can't even say it. And so on, on about the fourth night of the camp, I said, hey, I said, hey, I've preached for you a pretty good camp. I said that. <laughs> and I've got two, two nights left, and I'm going to really preach good these last two nights. If, if I preach real good, would you let me go down and stay at your place? Can I go? He said, yeah, if you'll pay. <laughs> and I said, okay, okay, I'll pay. How much? He said, what do you think it's worth? I said, I don't know. I had never seen it. I said, but I tell you what, whatever you give me in a check, I'll sign it and give it back to you. Well, I knew then I was going to get a good check. <laughs> and I could have said, you know what? I've changed my mind. I don't really want to go. But I didn't. I signed it, gave it to him, and we went to Jamaica. 
We stayed there seven days. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. Their house was splendid. It was right on the coast. It was an awesome time. Our girls loved it. They have never forgotten it. They're just little old bitty tykes. And so we go down there. And so getting ready to come home, we get to the airport, and there was a riot, a semi-riot at the airport. And uh, what had happened, we had discovered that our plane was not going to fly, and there was a man literally standing on top of the desk where the flight, uh, where, the, where the gate people are. He was standing up there trying to rile people up that we need an airplane. We need a plane. We need a plane. We need a plane. And I just said, we need a plane. We need a plane. I didn't know what I was hollering about. We just hollered. We found out that there was a, the plane that we're supposed to fly on was not going to be able to fly because, listen to this, there was a boat that held something in the engine together that cost $1.69. $1.69. And Jamaica didn't have one of them on the whole island. They had to fly to Miami, get that boat, fly back. We stayed at the airport all night long. I learned more card games that night from people around me than I've ever in my life. I played everything. Oh, God, I, I can't even tell you. I didn't play poker, but I played everything I could play with those people that night trying to, trying to just get it right. And they came back, and at 4 o'clock in the morning, they were putting that bolt in that plane with a flashlight. And now I'm thinking, do I want to get on that plane? <laughs> and we get on the plane about 4.30, 5 o'clock, and we take off in the dark because a dollar 69 cent boat was not on the island of Jamaica. Mm, 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 mm. I'm still a little upset about it right now. <laughs> Here's what I'm telling you, folks. It's the little things that become big to us that cause us to lose our walk and our affection and our attention on the Almighty. You need to stand up and say, you know what? $1.69 is not going to take me out. It's going to at least be $2 before I fall. <laughs> Come on, we need to stand up. I know we're having fun tonight. You need to stand up and say, I'm going to have some values in my life. One man said, one way to judge a man is if he asks for a lighter burden or a stronger back. That's how you judge him. Allow me to say this. Fame is a vapor, folks. Popularity is an accident. Money takes wings. And the only thing that endures is character, character, character. We need values in our life. Tony Campolo wrote a book one time, wrote several. One of them, he wrote a chapter about somebody switched the price tags Thieves got into a store, and instead of stealing stuff and taking the money, they just switched price tags and made the cheap things expensive and the expensive things cheap. And that's happening in our world today. Things that we used to value are now not even valued at all. Life is not valued anymore. And the things that didn't matter much now matter a whole lot. And what we have to do as Christians is get in our soul and say, God, give me the proper perspective in life. Say it with me. Give me the proper perspective in life. So how are convictions grown in the ambience of the soul? I'm going to give you a few ways here. They're first modeled by significant people in our life, on the screens of our life, like moms and dads, extended family, community, stories that are told, songs that are sung, principles laid down when we were kids. And I trust you had a semi-good home. I trust you had a great home. And I trust if you had a bad home that God has delivered you from your past. 
and you're moving forward. Paul Harvey said obedience to law starts in the high chair, not the electric chair. We need to teach our children. Mom and dad used music at home. We were singers. Mama was a professional singer. She let everybody around know that she used to sing with Red Foley and Rex Allen. Y'all don't even know who they are. But this pretty popular Rex Allen asked my mama to marry him because my mama was pretty. My brother got all the looks and I got all of her brain. I don't know. But, <laughs> but they used the right kind of music. Mama had songs in the night. She'd take the guitar out every night and we'd sing before we went to bed, four-part harmony. She had songs in the day. She'd wake us up singing. Songs get into kids. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Everybody ought to go to Sunday school, Sunday school, Sunday school. Everybody ought to go to Sunday school, Sunday school. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. If we all pull together, happy we'll be. And the one that I loved was a birdie with a yellow bill hopped up on my windowsill. He cocked his shiny eye and said, you're a little sleepyhead. I rubbed my sleepy eye and said, who's a little sleepyhead? He flapped his wings in a boy. He flew, said, don't you be late for Sunday school. I still sing that song. I still sing it at 17. I'm still singing that song because mom and daddy put it in me. That bursts character in us. And then the second is stories that we hear, stories we hear. We used to have, we didn't have TVs back in our church back in that day. We didn't have TVs in our house. We had to go to the neighbors to watch TV. I had a key to the neighbor's house, so I'd go in their house and watch TV. We had flannel characters, Sunday school, David and Hannah and Esther and Jonah and Peter and John and Jesus. The only one we had of Jesus was, was him feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. Told it over and over again. Parents put books in my hands that honesty is the best policy and crime doesn't pay and cleanliness is next to godliness and books on sharing and caring and family and loving people. Stories. And then the third way we learn convictions is through abstract principles. Now let me talk to you. Coaches, guys in my life, people in my life, telling players if you quit now, perhaps because you're in a little adversity, you'll quit all your life when adversity comes. I made it then, so I can now. I had a professor in college. I had cut class one day in his class to do work on something I call more important project than him. And he brought me in. He really liked me. He said, I like you, Rex, but I got to tell you something. He lectured me. He said, don't sacrifice the routine to pursue something you deem more important. And I quit doing that because the routine is what's going to get you through life. And the next is the Bible. Everybody say the Bible. Ezra 7 and 10 said Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinance in Israel. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Daniel in the first chapter of his book, in the prophetic book of Daniel in the Old Testament, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself nor eat the king's meat. Folks, you've got to have a first chapter sometime in your life where you just make a, a declaration and say, this is who I am, this is what I am. I want a life that God blesses and I don't want to hide from God. I want to stand up in the presence of God and be bold in his presence and ask him anything because he said, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. You've got to have that kind of boldness in your life. The Bible is a great thing. Hear this, Pastor. When you're hungry, the word of God is bigger than life. It flies off the page at you. It takes seedbed in you. The soul of the soul. Hebrews 4 said the word is quick and powerful. 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the dividing of the soul and spirit, the joint and the marrow, discerning of thought and intent of the heart. The Bible is not impotent. It's not impotent, but powerful. Like shavings, steel shavings seek a magnet. Truth seeks the soul. And our soul needs that. Love takes dominion over hate, forgiveness over retribution, generosity over greed, and humility more noble than pride. And the fifth way that we create convictions, this church concept. Now let me talk to you a little bit. I'm going to slow down just a little bit. I'm, I'm not going to hold you but about five more minutes. Paul mentions the church concept. Hear this. He talks about the weaker brother in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11. What you do, he, he said, is it will affect others. Your sin, the way you handle yourself, weakens the weak because people are watching. Someone's watching you. Someone's observing you. Kids are watching you, parents. They're watching you. They may not say anything, but they're watching. And what is done at home, what you do, you think in secret, somebody's watching. I saw a little boy following his dad one day in a snowstorm in West Texas, and his dad was taking these steps, and the little boy was taking these big old steps, trying to step in his dad's footsteps. Every child will try to walk in parents' footsteps. I'm talking to you now. So you might as well make them right for kids. Alcohol, drug abuse, immorality. People are watching what you observe on TV. You may think those kids are asleep and you got something on. Oh, I'm preaching tonight, aren't I? You got something on that tube that you don't need on that tube. There's somebody peeking over that couch looking at that. Weak saints are watching. Family knows. That's enough about that. The sixth way to create convictions in your life is formed out of consequence of failure. Now let me talk. So you've goofed, you've messed up. God, I promise I won't do that again. I was stupid, that was stupid, not good. Never again, God, never again. You know what? God takes those repentant prayers. He really does. And all of us have goofed up. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have. I, I remember I used to have a tough time with tables at night when I walked because my little toes kind of stick out my little pinky, the one that did wee, wee, wee all the way home. You know that one? <laughs> and I would catch that toe or this toe on table, table legs. And, when, and, and I, I must walk harder than I think I do. I'd snap them. I'd snap them. I probably have broken this toe three or four times. And this one, ah, it's unlimited. <laughs> but one day I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defeat that. I'm going to whip it. So I started walking pigeon-toed like this. <laughs> Listen, fool me once, shame on you, table. <laughs> fool me six times, shame on me. Mark Twain said, if a cat ever sits on a hot stove, he'll never sit on it again. But he won't sit on a cold stove either. Timothy said, some men's sins go before them, and that's public, and some come after them. That's private. But your sins are going to follow you or go before you. The only way to handle failure is to deal with it. Listen, deal with it. I'm not calling you out tonight. Just deal with it. Deal with it, and then repent and ask God for forgiveness. And if you ask him for forgiveness, he will, he will give you the desire of your heart. I can't tell you how many times I've repented over things in my life. Your pastor's not perfect. 
Your pastor's made a lot of mistakes. Your pastor's done a lot of things that he's not proud of. But I promise you, I have an avenue to the Father. Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man. And I can call on his name. And I can repent of my sins and he will forgive me. That's the only way to handle failure. Deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it. The Great Wall of China was deemed impregnable by the enemy, but it did not stand because of the human element. Guards at the gate were bribed. Character flaw. And the only thing worse than failure is not to learn from it. It's not to learn from it. Peter learned from failure. He denounced God three times. Then he preached the message Pentecost. And he later wrote, add to your faith virtue and your virtue knowledge and knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance. I love this man. Perseverance, godliness, and godliness, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness, love. And if these are in you and abound in you, you'll never be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten he was cleansed from his old sins. Go home and read 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. A pearl is a product of sand. It's an irritant to the oyster. So it is with conviction over failure. You messed up? That can become the irritant for a greater form and a more formidable conviction of your life. And I close with this. You've got to have a regular self-examination. Don't make God always come and say, hey, you need to talk to me about that. Let your soul, let your soul say, God, that wasn't right what I said about my neighbor. That wasn't right what I said about somebody in church. That wasn't right, God. That wasn't right. Help me. Help me, Lord. My tongue just gets out of control. And I need help with it. Would you help me? God will help you. Psalms 139, David said, Search me, O God. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Say it, lead me in the way everlasting. You know, hotels send their people to other hotels to check it out, and they hire people to check out the services. It's what God does. He comes around. He makes house calls. My question, can a broken character be rebuilt? The answer is yes, yes, yes. Paul was rebuilt. Simon Peter was rebuilt. John Mark was not profitable for 16 years, but he was rebuilt. Jonah spent three nights in the belly of a whale, and he was rebuilt by personal vows and covenants. Would you stand to your feet? Here's some operating convictions for your life. I want you to repeat these with me. Spiritual disciplines. I need God. Relational life, marriage, family, friends. Vocational life, if I don't have one, I need to get a job. Intellectual life, purify my mind. Financial life, teach me to manage money. Teach me to become a tither. Physical life, take care of my body. Recreational life, rest, exercise, and manage yourself. 
the life God blesses. Convictions. Convictions are built in the soul. Convictions are built in the soul. I, uh, I got strung out on Jamaica tonight. And it cost me some valuable preach time. But I love that Jamaica trip. I got to close with this Jamaica trip. So the lady and the husband that put us down there, she met us at Montego Bay at the airport and took us to Ocho Rios where we stayed in their house. And she said, Pastor Rex, there is a, there's a, the only American on this, on this strip, the ocean right here, it's the only American is down the block here, said he's the only one who speaks English on this whole trip, and I want to give you his phone number. And so I go down. You'll never forget this story. You'll never forget this story. I go down to his house with her, and he was not there. He's at the beach. His wife was there. They were, they were Broadway people, and he owned a huge limousine service in New York City. And I was a pastor in Austin, Texas. And, uh, and so she, she told me his name, and it kind of it rang a bell, and I thought, it couldn't be. It couldn't happen. This couldn't happen. So two hours later, I went down and knocked on the door, and he came to the door, and it was him. And I said, hey, I'm standing down here in the trout house. Trout house, that counts good. And I said, they wanted me to come down and meet you. And I said, can I just, he was a spiritual guy. I said, can I just prophesy over you? I feel the spirit of prophecy. I was messing with him. I didn't feel the spirit of prophecy. I was messing with him. I knew him and he didn't know that I knew him because he didn't know me because he had forgot all about that old boy back in college. And I said, you know anything about West Texas? He said, yeah. He said, but I live way out there in a place called Olton. I said, you ever been to Leveland? He said, yeah. I said, yeah, I say, you went to South Plains Junior College. <laughs> he said, I sure did. I said, and you taught karate. You had a brother named Ramsey, and you taught karate. He said, we sure did. He said, oh, my God, man, you're a man of God. Oh, this gets better. It gets better. It gets better. It gets better. And I said, you dated Barbara Rogers. Her daddy was the president of the college. And I said, a lot of us guys were mad because we didn't think she deserved you or you deserved her. He said, oh, God, Jesus, oh, God. He was praying. He... And I said, and you know what? I've been praying a lot for you because you got kicked out of college for doing marijuana. You remember that? He said, you're a man of God. I said, no, you have, you have an annual in your house? He said, I do. I said, let me show you who I am. I'm Rex Johnson. And I pulled out the annual, and there we were in the student union building eating a hamburger together. He said, oh, my God. Thank you, Lord. He wasn't a prophet. Oh! <laughs> Thank you for letting me have fun tonight. Have you, have you enjoyed the house of God tonight? Have you enjoyed the house of God tonight? Isn't it great to be at church on Wednesday night? Come on, clap your hands real big. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That's all I got to say about that. I love you. Sunday morning, we're back in church, 9 and 11. We're gonna have a great time here Sunday. Aren't you happy to be a part of a church? 
that just loves coming together. I love y'all from the bottom of my heart. Coffee cards, pass that over here. Let me bless you before you leave, Father. Thank you for these precious people. And thank you for your love for us and your love for this house. And thank you for your presence that we felt here tonight. What a joy, what a joy, what a joy to be together. Now bless us, watch over us, God. Thank you for 84 degree weather today. We honor that, God. We bless you, Lord. We were cold last week, but we're not tonight. And I thank you for bringing us through the storm one more time. And we honor you. Let us have convictions in our heart to live for you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. You that are watching online, we love you. Hope to see you Sunday. God bless. Have a great night.